2017, if you got up this morning wanting to be a blessing in somebody's life, can I tell you, you succeeded? I watched each one of you come in, and every single one of you just really blessed me for being here today. So glad we get to start off the new year together. You're so faithful. There's other things you could be doing on a gorgeous day like this, and you're here worshiping God, coming to just be with people that love Him. Thank you, and Happy New Year. We were just here for Christmas, weren't we? Last week was Christmas, I think, and um, amazing Christmas Eve service. I thought the uh, I loved I loved what Pastor Mark did with with the message, starting in Genesis for Christmas, and I thought, wow, that's different. Where where is he going? But he started where God, from the very beginning, walked into the garden to Adam and Eve. Where are you? God pursues us. And then in Bethlehem, sends Jesus again. Where are you? God pursues us. We should be pursuing him. He pursues us. Tuesday. A couple of quick things to talk to you about. Tuesday, this Tuesday night, men, is our monthly men's study. We're, we're studying Jonah this month. So we meet upstairs in room 210 from 7 to 8.30. And Friday night, there's a little something going on right in the cafe, Rock of Ages. That's from 6 to 8.30. There's dinner included in that one. It's always really good. Bob, you're here, Bob Fable, raising his hand. like He's going to be sharing his testimony. You've got to come here. I'm flying in from Florida, and I'm coming. I'm going to be there. He's, he's promised to lead you in singing. If I'm not there in time, he's going to stand up and sing, and Lori's going to get up and talk and do all these things until I get there so I can hear. But Friday. So remember Tuesday, men, and then all of us, Friday, Rock of Ages, and in the cafe. It'll be amazing. And today's New Year's Day. Did you make a New Year's resolution? Do you do that? Do you do that? Some of you, no. Some of you, yeah. Well, I, I brought some that might inspire you. Just, I brought, I found three online, and I, I would just share these to maybe inspire you if you feel like doing a New Year's resolution. Here's one. I, I'm not making these up, by the way. These I found these online. Good to see you, Ron. God bless you, brother. I will not bore my boss with the same excuse for taking time off. For 2017, I will think of some more excuses. <laughs> for New Year's, my New Year's resolution is to spend less time interacting with people and spend more time with my phone. Doing pretty well so far. <laughs> Person wrote. And the third one says, uh, New Year's resolution for 2017, I will learn what the word resolution means. That's a good one. The word resolution means a firm decision. And this time of year, do we make a firm decision? Do you kind of take an inventory and you think, you know what, for the new year, here's some things I want to start doing. I want to, I'm going to do this for, for the new year. Right, Joe? You were just talking to me about that. Here's what I want to do in 2017. Likewise, maybe, maybe we look back and think, okay, I, I'm going to stop doing some other things in the new year. Our passage today in Galatians is perfect, perfect passage to look at for the beginning of a new year because it's going to make us all stop and think about our relationship with God. What is our relationship with God? What kind of relationship is it? Are you happy with it? How would you like it to make it richer? How would you like to even have one if you don't have one now? Before we pray, we are a family church. And I wanted to take one minute to share something personal with you. I got an amazing Christmas present this year. I want to talk to you about it. I got it from the Lord through my surgeon. Many of you know that I had cancer this year. I got kidney cancer. And they removed my kidney and I've been going for checkups. And so many of you have been so kind and 
been praying for me, and you ask me how I'm doing, and that's so sweet. One thing I didn't tell anybody, I told Pastor Mark, but I didn't tell anybody else, that in my checkups, they found some spots on my lung. So the doctor, the surgeon said, well, don't worry about it. It's probably nothing. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, you know what, though? We didn't worry. We prayed. And I didn't tell anybody about it because I didn't want to talk about it. I just wanted to pray about it. So for the last three months, my family's just kind of living every day, wondering, okay, am I, do I have more yet to do? Am I, hit, am I healthy or do I have something more to deal with? And when I saw the doctor on the 27th, uh, I had my regular CAT scan, and um, he came in to say, no, those little spots look like they're just little scar tissue. They're microscopic. He says, it's not, it's not cancer. Don't worry about it. You gave me a clean bill of health. Praise God. I guess t technically I'm not cancer-free. They don't say that. They say that I have no evidence of the disease. I'll take that. God is good. But it's wonderful to... It, it was. It's a little stressful, but it's also wonderful to live in uncertainty. Where you just trust in the Lord. What's it going to be? Let's pray together. Father, we come today, first day of 2017. Lord, you made a beautiful day in Southern California. You have filled this church, filled this room with the most beautiful people I've ever seen. Thank you, Father, that you called us together. And we pray, Father, that we are here today with open minds, open hearts. We want to hear from you. Lord, the we're going to study the wonder of your grace, and I pray that no one would walk out of here unchanged. Let us all see your grace, experience your grace, understand the grace that we have in you like we've never understood it before. Please, Father, don't let me get in the way. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. The Galatians are struggling with a basic question that maybe you've asked yourself. Here's the question. How can I know for sure that I'm accepted by God? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought that? How can I know for sure that I'm right with God, that I'm accepted by God? If you're wrestling with that question today, I hope you'll pay very close attention to the scripture verses we're going to read because the answer you're looking for is there. The Galatians were not listening to God's word. The Galatians were listening to false teachers. Wrong teaching leads to wrong thinking. And wrong thinking leads to wrong answers about who God is and how we can have a loving relationship with him. The false teachers were saying this. False teachers were saying to the Galatians, if you want to have a loving relationship with God, if you want to be accepted by God, here's what you have to do. First, believe in Jesus. Because Jesus got your salvation process started. But you have to complete it. You have to finish it by getting circumcised and basically becoming a Jewish convert. You need to obey our Jewish laws, our list of do's and don'ts. This is what false teachers always do. False teachers always want to shift your attention away from what Jesus did on the cross to get you to think there's some other thing that you can do to complete your salvation or you can do to earn favor with God. When Paul was in Galatia, he preached the gospel of Jesus to them. Let's look at two things that were certain Paul would have preached to the Galatians. I'll put them on the screen so you can see them. Let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. These two verses are from, uh, from the uh, New Living Translation. 
But this is the kind of thing that Paul preached wherever he went, so we're, we're clear. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. Let's also look at Roman, uh, Philippians 3.3. 3. This is also the New Living Translation. Philippians 3.3 3 says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Paul told the Galatians, you know, none of us can measure up to God's perfect standard and none of us can earn our way. But we can all receive God's full acceptance and love as a free gift by trusting in Christ alone. So with these words fresh in our minds of what Paul preached, let's read now our passage today from Galatians 3 where Paul is going to tell his readers to stop thinking like idiots. His language is that strong. Let's read together Galatians 3, verses 1 to 9. Verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now trying? To, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then, who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith that are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Here's the outline for this passage. We're going to see Paul's argument from the Galatians' own salvation experience, and then we're going to see Paul's argument from Scripture. Paul's going to show his readers that their own salvation experience and Scripture itself prove, prove that the only way to have a relationship with God is through faith alone, not faith plus something else. Let's look at verse 1 together. In the English language, we have the word salutation. A salutation means a formula, or it's a, a standard formula for addressing a person you're writing to. Dear sir, dear Joe. Look how Paul addressed the Galatians. You foolish Galatians. This could be translated, oh, dear idiots of Galatia. There are two words in the Greek that mean foolish. One word means mentally deficient or stupid. This is not the word Paul used. Paul is not saying that the Galatians lack intelligence or they have a short circuit in the brain. Paul is using a different Greek word that means someone that fails to act, to act on their knowledge. Paul is rebuking the Galatians not for lack of intelligence, but for lack of obedience. Paul's not upset that they lack information. He's upset that they're not using the information that they have. The Galatians knew the truth of the gospel because Paul preached it to them every minute he was with them. But when Paul left, the false teachers moved in. And Paul is amazed that the Galatians are swallowing 
the lies that the false teachers were feeding them. Paul is so baffled by the goofy Galatians, he asks them, Who bewitched you? Let's think about that word, who. You and I, just like the Galatians, need to be careful about who we listen to. Who do you get your information from? Who do you believe? You know, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. But when somebody has an opinion that is contrary to the truth of God, it's a terrible opinion. And we need to recognize that. How do we know if someone is telling us the truth about God or not? How do we know? Let's find the answer together. It's in the book of Acts. Please turn to the left a few books. Back toward the Old Testament a little bit. Acts 17.11. Here Paul is, has preached in Thessalonica in Macedonia. And now he's in Berea. And he's writing about the Bereans. Or this is being recorded about what the, how the Bereans responded to the message of the gospel that Paul preached. Acts 17.11. Now these, meaning the Bereans, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The Bereans were wise. They were really excited about what Paul told them about Jesus. They were open to it. They listened. They received it with joy. But they did something else that the Galatians didn't do. The Bereans opened the scriptures and they studied them to make sure their teacher was accurate and true. You know, we have a famine in our country. It's in our Christian community. It's a famine of knowing the Bible. With all the great resources that we have available to us, we are starving ourselves to death in a crisis of biblical illiteracy. The Galatians, like so many men and women today, foolishly ignored the reading and study of God's word on their own. So they were easy prey. We are easy targets for false teaching if we don't study. Let me put Proverbs 3:30 on the screen for you. This is Proverbs 30, verses 5 to 6. If you don't know this proverb, this is a great one. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. Every word in our Bible is tested. This means it's refined by the fire. It's like pure gold. God's word is flawless. It's perfect. We don't need to add to it. In fact, God commands us not to add to it. This means Bible teachers have to be very careful. And you know what else it means? Bible listeners have to be just as careful. Like all the teachers in this church, from here to children's department and every Bible study, it's the teacher's responsibility to accurately teach what God has said. But it's the responsibility of you and me as listeners to check the scriptures to make sure our teachers are spot on. Keep looking at you, Bill. I know you taught and you, yeah, you want your students studying right along with you. Yeah. In Galatians 3.1, Paul asks, who has bewitched you? The word bewitched means charmed or misled by flattery or false promise. The term suggests the false teachers wowed the people. They sweet-talked the people into believing lies. Norman Vincent Peale said this, The trouble with most of us 
is that we'd rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. Does that sound like human nature? Most of us would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. That's the Galatians. Just wanted to hear that they were okay. They were doing good. Before we judge the Galatians too harshly for their foolishness, we need to realize that any one of us can get our heads turned. We live in the age of misinformation. We are barraged day and night by unbiblical, ungodly ideas all the time, but it's packaged up to look really, really good. Let me put on the screen a quote that I found from Martin Luther. Martin Luther probably said this about 400 years ago, and it's still so true today. Look what a man like Martin Luther wrote. He said, although I am a doctor of divinity and have preached Christ and fought his battles for a long time, I know from personal experience how difficult it is to hold fast to the truth. That's quite an honest statement. I cannot always shake off Satan. I cannot always apprehend Christ as the scriptures portray him. Sometimes the devil distorts Christ to my vision. But thanks be to God who keeps us in his word, in faith, and in prayer. Every one of us is vulnerable to flattery and false promises. That's why we have to hold tight. Hold tight to God's word. We have to know what he has said. The quickest way to spot a lie is to know the truth. Just like in Paul's time, we have counterfeit Christians and we have counterfeit gospels today. I put myself through school by working in a grocery store. I was a journeyman clerk, so I stocked shelves and I worked the cash register. And they taught me how to spot counterfeit money. You know how they trained me to spot counterfeit money? They didn't have me study counterfeit bills. They just had me handle and examine real currency. When you know what's real and true, it makes it much easier and much quicker to spot a phony. You know, it's wonderful to have a soft, tender heart. Some people have softer heads than hearts. Their minds are too accommodating too ready to accept what other people say because they smile or they say they're a Christian or they quote the Bible or use Christian language. We need to study God's word. We need to pray for discernment. Otherwise, any one of us can be misled. Let's finish verse 1. Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? The word publicly portrayed in the Greek describes, describes someone going through town Posting official notices in all the public places. Paul is saying that he made Jesus obvious everywhere he went. Do you remember when Jay Leno used to host The Tonight Show? He used to do a segment called Jaywalking. Did you ever see that? Where he would go out on the street with a microphone and he would interview man and woman on the street and ask them very common sense questions to see what people knew? Well, one time Jay was in Las Vegas and he went out on the Las Vegas Strip in front of the Paris Hotel. Here's a picture of the Paris Hotel. It's important that you see it. Do you see that Paris Hotel right there? Jay stood right in front of this hotel. And standing there at night, Jay asked people where he could find a replica of the Eiffel Tower. Person after person stood underneath this 460-foot-tall half-scale copy of the Eiffel Tower 
and could not tell Jay Leno where to find the Eiffel Tower in Las Vegas. Paul made the truth of the gospel as obvious as the Eiffel Tower to the Galatians, but they were acting like clueless fools by overlooking it. So he asked, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Paul doesn't mean that the Galatians actually saw Jesus nailed to the cross. Paul means that he emphasized the everlasting purpose, the everlasting purpose of Christ's crucifixion. Just believing that Jesus died on the cross doesn't make us right with God. Hundreds, if not thousands of people stood outside Jerusalem and saw Jesus nailed to the cross. Many of them mocked him and walked away unbelieving. Millions of people today believe that the historic person named Jesus did in fact die on the cross. They think it's sad or they think it's heroic, but they don't understand what his death means. What does the crucifixion of Jesus mean to you and me? I'll put it on the screen. Here's a summary or a sentence about what the crucifixion of Jesus means. Jesus' historic death provides eternal, everlasting payment for every believer's sins and does not need to be supplemented by any human work. This is what Paul preached and made as obvious as the Eiffel Tower. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus' death was not the down payment. Jesus paid our debt in full. When a debt is paid in full, what does it mean? It means it's paid. There's nothing left that we owe. At the end of 1999, my wife Joni and I attended an amazing millennium New Year's Eve party. The cost for the party was $1,000 per person. We had a fantastic meal. The, the event was produced by Disney, so part of the entertainment was we went to the Pasadena Auditorium and we watched a special screening of the movie that was coming out that year. It's Fantasia 2000. And live on stage performing the soundtrack for us was the London Philharmonic Orchestra. They brought them over from London to play the score live while we watched the, the movie. At midnight, the band Chicago played. Does anybody know what time it is? My wife and I danced together while they played that song, just like we used to do in high school. We met in high school. And for a few spectacular minutes, we felt like we were in a time machine. We felt like we were teenagers again. And at the end of the evening, the cost was $2,000 for Joan and I. But we did not pay a penny. We paid nothing because we were guests of someone very gracious, very generous. That person was happy to pay our way in full. We enthusiastically and over and over again thanked our host for an, an evening we knew we would never forget. How foolish would Joni and I have been if instead of thanking our host, what if we had gone into the kitchen? to see how many dishes we would need to wash to pay for the bill that was already paid in full. But this is what the Galatians were doing. Instead of enthusiastically thanking Jesus for paying their debt in full, they were now trying to work their way to complete the work Jesus did as if Jesus could not cover the cost himself. Let's look at Hebrews uh, 7.25. It'll come up on the screen. This is amazing. Therefore, Jesus is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. How can you know for sure you're accepted by God? How can you know for sure you're right with God? Trust in Jesus and trust in no one or nothing else to save you. Trust in Christ alone. There's nothing more you need to do. And there's nothing more you can do. Jesus paid the debt in full. And how long will that loving relationship with God last? Forever. Hey, look, we made it to verse (laughs) 2. I promise we'll pick up the pace. We will be done on time. Verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Can't you, can't you hear Paul's exasperation as he's writing this? He's saying, stop all the nonsense. Just answer this one question. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? Before or after you were circumcised? Before or after you started obeying Jewish law? It's a rhetorical question because the answer is obvious. Paul is basically saying this. You guys are Gentiles, for heaven's sake. Remember? You're Gentiles. None of you had been circumcised when you received the Spirit. None of you even knew any Jewish law. Obviously, you received the Spirit by faith, not by works. Well, how does someone receive the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 1. You're in Galatians. Ephesians is the next, very next book to the right. Let's look at Ephesians 1, 13, and we'll also read 14. Again, these are words that Paul undoubtedly preached over and over again too. Galatians. How does someone receive the Holy Spirit? How do we get the Holy Spirit? Right from God's word, here it is. In, in Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, so first we listen to the gospel, then we believe, you were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is not a prize that we win if we score enough points with God by doing religious things. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives us the moment we put our faith in his Son. God's own Spirit God's very own spirit comes to indwell every believer. The word indwell means to be permanently present. God's own spirit comes to be permanently present in you and me when we put our faith in Christ. God's Holy Spirit secures, preserves, and guarantees our salvation. The Holy Spirit is God's official seal. The Holy Spirit is God's official mark of identification on every believer. And God's Holy Spirit God's permanent and everlasting seal of approval. Paul is reminding his idiotic readers they received God's spirit therefore they already received his full approval the moment they believed in Christ. Paul is proving that they experience, their own experience in salvation proves that it comes through faith not through works of the law. Now, someone might ask at this point, okay, then if we're already loved and accepted by God from the minute we trust in Christ, why do we work? Why would we serve the Lord? Why do that? The answer is this. We serve God because we love him. Not to make him love us. We already have his full love. Serving the Lord out of joy and gratitude is the greatest privilege 
And all of you that serve so faithfully in this church, you know, nothing better. Look at verse 3. Paul is not finished yet. He continues to let the Galatians have it. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Here's another rebuke from Paul. Paul's tearing his hair out if he has any left at this point. He's struggling to believe how the Galatians have been duped to believe that their sinful, weak, and fallen human nature can actually improve on the work that the perfect Spirit of God has done. Paul's question could be asked like this. I have paraphrased it. This is how I would have asked the question. You began your Christian life with a spiritual act of faith. When you believed in Jesus, God blessed your socks off, giving you his spirit, his love, his grace, and his power the moment you believed. But now you want to continue your Christian life under an entirely different system that is man-made, rigid, and powerless? Does this actually make sense to you, knuckleheads? Before we laugh too hard at the Galatians, let's remember that any of us can be just as foolish. Many, too many Christian men and too many Christian women have turned away from the joy, joy they have in the Lord in order to focus on useless things that have robbed them of that joy. When we substitute works of the flesh for the Spirit, we just get full of ourselves. We don't get full of the Spirit. Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? The word suffer in the Greek means to experience, so it doesn't necessarily mean hardship or pain, although the Galatians probably did suffer for their faith. Paul sure did when he was preaching the gospel in Galatia. Paul was stoned and left for dead by the Jews. Paul is reminding his readers of what they experienced in Christ. Do you know what you've experienced in Christ? Are you fully aware of what you have in Christ? Let's look at Ephesians 1.3. It'll come up on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every blessing is ours when we trust in Christ. God holds nothing back when we trust in his Son. In Galatians 3.4, Paul wants the Galatians to answer this question. Did you experience Christ in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So what does that mean? To experience Christ in vain is what the Lord talked about, what Jesus talked about when he gave the parable of the sower, the hard soil. Remember that parable? I'll put Luke 8.13 on the screen just to refresh our memory of what Jesus said about the rocky soil. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. In verse 4, Paul is saying, please tell me you're not falling away. Please tell me you're not abandoning Jesus. You're not turning your backs on the grace that you have to embrace Judaism. Please tell me you're not being that foolish. I don't think Paul is angry here. I think his heart's broken. Verse 4 challenges all of us to think about what we have in Christ. So it's the perfect verse to read on New Year's Day. Because in New Year's, we kind of take an inventory, don't you? What kind of year was 2016 for you? You know, in 2016, do we think, did I make as much money as I wanted to make? 
Did you get to cross some things off your bucket list you're hoping to do? Did you improve your health? You know, did you have things you wanted to do in 2016? What about your relationship with Christ? Let's think about that together. Has this been a joyful year for you? When you think back on 2016, would you think of the word joyful? Would that be one of the adjectives you'd think to describe your year? Was it joyful for you even if you suffered hardship? Are you more in love with Jesus and more aware of his love for you at the end of 2016 than you were at the beginning? If so, did you had a great year. You had a wonderful, blessed year. I hope and pray for all of us that 2017 will just fill us with more joy and bring us closer to the Lord, and we will be more aware of the Lord's love at the end of 2017 than we are right now. In verse 5, we come to Paul's last question for his readers. So then... Does he who provide you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? <clears throat> Paul's really hammering this home. We could paraphrase Paul's question like this. In conclusion, your own experience proves that God blessed you the moment you put your faith in Jesus. You have received the Holy Spirit and seen God do miracles in your midst through faith. All of this happened before you were circumcised and before you started trying to obey Jewish law. So what does this tell you? Does God respond to works of the law? Or does God respond to your faith? Paul repeats a phrase he used in verse 2 to emphasize the obvious answer. God responds to faith, not works. So in the first five verses, Paul has proven his point by making his readers look at their own salvation experience all through faith. Now he goes for the closer. He turns to God's word. Verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. The Galatians were throwing away their faith-based relationship with God in order to have a works-based relationship with God. The pressure to do that was coming from Christians that were Jews. Jews claim Abraham as their most important ancestor and role model. So Paul uses Abraham as proof that there's never been any other way salvation other than grace through faith even in the Old Testament Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness Paul is quoting Genesis 15:6 Genesis 15:6 is one of the clearest demonstrations in the Bible of salvation that comes by grace through faith Paul actually quotes Genesis 15:6 four times in the New Testament three times in Romans and once here in Galatians in Genesis 15 Abraham had no heirs so the Lord took him out to show him all the stars in the sky and said, try to count the stars if you can. So will your descendants be. And Abraham believed the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. What does the word righteousness mean? The Hebrew word for righteousness is literally translated as rightly clothed or rightly covered. I'm going to put Isaiah 61.10 on the screen. If this doesn't give you some goosebumps, check your pulse. You might be having a medical problem. Isaiah 61.10 I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. When you put your faith in Jesus, God covers you with garments of salvation. 
he wraps you in a robe of righteousness. He decks you out like the most stunning bride and groom in the glory of his grace forever. Abraham proves that God's acceptance has nothing to do with works of the law because Abraham was declared righteous by God himself before the covenant of circumcision had ever been given and before Moses, the lawgiver, had even been born. Abraham, Abraham only had one thing that God accepted. His faith. Back to Genesis 3.6. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. This means Abraham took God at his word. And because of that, God declared Abraham righteous. Abraham was covered in rightness. Let's make sure we understand this very important point. Please don't miss this. Abraham's faith did not make him righteous. Abraham's God made him righteous by accepting his faith. Your faith and my faith doesn't make us righteous. Our God makes us righteous by accepting our faith. This is the grace of God. God accepts our faith in his Son, and you know what he does? He takes all of the righteousness that his perfect Son of God has and he covers us with it forever. I'm going to put something on the screen that John Corson wrote in his commentary. It's, it's really cute. It's clever. I didn't think of it, but I thought you might enjoy it. Here's the definition of righteousness. God bought it. Jesus bought it. Spirit taught it. Satan fought it. But gang, we got it. Verse 7, Therefore be sure that it is those who are of the faith who are sons of Abraham. Therefore be sure. Paul is saying in light of scripture that I just read to you, be sure of what I'm about to tell you next. The words be sure in the Greek are imperative. We are actually being commanded in God's word to understand these next words. We are commanded to understand that both Jews and Gentiles are the true spiritual children of Abraham because of following his example of faith, not works. You know, many Jews in Paul's day believed they were superior to Gentiles because they were genetically descended from Abraham. God's word tells us that the most important link to Abraham is not genetics, it's faith. Let's look at the final two verses. The language here is wonderful. Verse 8 and 9. This is amazing. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, even those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Did you catch the language here? Paul is saying that Scripture can foresee and Scripture can preach. Paul is referring to Scripture as a person. He's personifying Scripture, and rightly so, because Scripture is the living Word of God. When Scripture speaks, God is speaking. Let's look at Hebrews 4.12. It'll come up on the screen. You know this passage, but in context of this, it's magnificent. The Word of God is living, and it's active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the miracle, and this is the mystery of God's Word. 
The words in our Bibles, they're historic. But they're also live. They are live. God's historic words are everlasting and unchanging. That means they are as fresh and relevant this very moment as they were when God spoke them over thousands of years ago. When you get a letter or an email or a text from someone and you're reading it, do you picture the person that sent it to you? Probably most of us do. What do you picture when you read your Bible? Is it just words, text on a page? Or do you try to picture the living God in that moment speaking directly to you? Do you ever read your Bible on your knees? As we get older, that gets a little more challenging. But you know what? Reading your Bible on your knees does not make you more spiritual. It just makes you more aware of who is talking to you. Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Paul observes that way back in Abraham's day, about 1,700 years before Jesus was born, the plan for salvation included Jews and Gentiles. Salvation in every age has always been grace. God's blessings are poured out on all believers. And one of the greatest blessings you and I get to enjoy that know Christ is every second of every day we know we are in a right relationship with Him. We know we are secure in Christ. We, are, we know every minute of every day we are accepted, loved, and we are treasured by God no matter what else happens. We might summarize God's plan for salvation like this. We bring nothing to God but our faith in His Son. And He gives us everything in return. I bring Him nothing. You bring Him nothing but our faith in His Son. And in return, He gives us everything. I asked you at the beginning if you had a New Year's resolution. I gave you three silly ones. Let me close by giving you three great ones from the passage today inspired by the Galatians 3. For 2017, let's love Jesus more. For 2017, let's share his love with more people. Let's be like that Eiffel Tower. Let's be impossible to miss. And let's revel. Let's delight. Let's live every day happier than the day before because we know we are loved and accepted by God forever. Not because we are good, but because He is good. Our prayer team will be here to pray with you at the close of the service. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to the end of one year and the beginning of a new year, trusting you so much for your perfect sovereignty. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for accepting our faith and taking all the righteousness that is Christ and covering us, wrapping us, embracing us with it that we can never lose. Lord, I pray for 2017 we would wake up every morning more in love with you and more aware of your love for us. Fill us with the joy of your grace, we pray in Jesus' name.